Welcome to another episode of our Six Questions program. I'm Trent England for Save Our States. Glad to have you back again and very glad to have Jessica Anderson back again on the program. She is the Executive Director of Heritage Action, which does just remarkable work rallying the grassroots all around the country. And she is also the president of the Sentinel Action Fund. Jessica, welcome back. Hey, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, glad to talk with you. Let's dive right into it. The, the first question, obviously, the midterm elections are right around the corner. What do you think are the top issues that are animating voters as we head toward Election Day? Yeah, it's a great question. Obviously, it's it's top of mind for all of us. Uh, the midterms are within uh, within spitting distance. And there is so much momentum to turn this country around. I hear this every single day from grassroots activists, from voters all across the country, blue state, red state, purple state. They want to see a turnaround. The main issue that's driving people that you're going to hear the most about, of course, is the economy. People are fed up. Uh, with how bad our economy is doing, whether it's gas prices, the price of milk, um, or just the fact that, you know, you can't buy a house without a 7% interest rate. I mean, this is this is a challenge, but I, I really think that's the iceberg. Uh, you know, that's the tip. That's what everybody sees. That's what everybody's talking about. But underneath, there are so many more issues that are actually animating voters this cycle. It's the rise of crime. It's the, it's the soft on police and supportive of the defund the police movement that has now trickled into the mainstream of the Democratic left. And that's, you know, driving the candidacies uh, for governor in New York, just as much as Senator Ted Budd, uh, soon to be Senator Ted Budd in North Carolina. I mean, crime is is popping hot in both of those states. Also underneath that iceberg is parental rights and actually uh, parents saying that they want to have a say in their kids schooling. Because, um, you know, look, I, I think at the end of the day, all of these issues matter because the same person that is making the decisions about where to fill up at the pump, do you go to Chevron or do you go to your local gas station, is the same person that's the parent that's dealing with their kids' schools um, and the absurdity of CRT in our classrooms. And so that's a long answer because I think there's just a lot of things that are in top of mind for voters. Those are just three of the top things right now. Yeah, I was shocked. I was looking through some polling for Oklahoma the other day. And mm. when you looked at people concerned about crime, the, the you know, among Republicans, Democrats, independents, the group most concerned about crime, and it wasn't, it wasn't one of the top uh, two or three issues, but it was a, you know, it was high after that. And mm -hmm. the people most concerned were Democrats. And right. uh, yeah, I think the disconnect between Democratic Party leadership and, and uh, you know, a lot of the traditional Democratic voters is mm -hmm. going to be interesting to see on Election Day. Another issue a lot of people care about, election integrity, which has the potential to keep people from voting if they feel like their votes aren't going to count. Jessica, Heritage Action has been really involved in working over the last couple of years to secure our elections. Can voters feel reasonably you know safe that their uh, that their ballot will count when they cast an election day Yes, I think we have made great strides um as not only the conservative movement but concerned citizens across the country in better securing our elections and this has been done through a concerted really two-prong 
um, effort, three prongs, actually, if you count, if you count the fact that we've, we've stopped HR1, S1 from being passed uh, here in Congress, but those two prongs, those other two prongs are, are just as important. And it's been the, the momentum at the state level to pass state-based election integrity bills, um, everything from Georgia and Texas to South Carolina, you mentioned Oklahoma, Tennessee, Florida, every single state uh, that has had an issue with election integrity has tried to tackle it through their state legislature, um, many in very meaningful ways. And even those blue states that have Democratic governors that refuse to acknowledge the need for election integrity, their state legislative chambers have passed bills and that governor has had to veto it, which serves a political purpose because you see the extremism of these Democratic governors in, in a lot of these places. So I think one, the fact that we've got so many great bills that have passed, um, it's going to help. It should restore confidence and faith to voters to know that when they show up to vote, that their vote is more secure. And then that second prong is just as important. When that voter shows up, they are going to be welcomed to the election polling place by freedom-loving, constitution-abiding poll watchers and poll workers. And that's really the second thing that I think the, the conservative movement has gotten right, which is to put an emphasis on having um, poll watchers and workers in place that are trained, that are vetted, many of which are lawyers that know what to look for to spot the fraud, know how to report it, and then know how to fix it. And so um, I think between those two things, we're in a much stronger position to fight against the fraudsters this election. Um, and then we have to stay vigilant. I mean, the election in a lot of places, it might not be over by midnight on November 8th. Some of this may go into a runoff. You know, we may be staring at a runoff in Georgia. Um, Pennsylvania might be up to their old tricks. And so those poll watchers and poll workers, Trent, are going to be really important because they'll actually stay on the ground until everything is done. Um, and following the chain of custody of, of election ballots all the way until everything is counted is so important. You, we can't leave before everything is done. Can't go to sleep, can't leave the polling location, gotta stay until everything is accounted and 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 hopefully that will ensure that there's not fraud. Yeah, and, and to you know borrow the title of one of Hugh Hewitt's books, if it's not close, they can't cheat. You know, for right. people who are concerned about fraud, one way to fight against that is just to get out and vote, make sure the margins right. in some of these states are such that it's beyond the margin of those kind of uh, those kind of concerns. Yeah, that's exactly right. Talking with Jessica Anderson, executive director of Heritage Action here on six questions. Question number four, Jessica, is about excuse me, question number three. I'm getting ahead of myself is about indoctrination in public schools. I went to public schools, so I maybe I'm having a little accounting trouble here. But uh, this seems to really be motivating parents post-COVID. You went into this when we talked about the, uh, you know, what's driving voters ahead of election day. Um, what, what do you think the effect, you know, still is? I think folks on the left, folks in the teachers unions are hoping that parents have sort of forgotten the COVID experience. Mm -hmm. Is, is that, I mean, do you think that that interest is sort of waning or will parents remember in November? Parents will not forget. I mean, we will not. I'm a parent. I have a fourth grader and a soon to be kindergartner. And we will not forget uh, the, the frankly, just the pain uh, that every single one of us went through during COVID because of lawless lockdowns that were not based on science. Um, and so I think 
what that what's come of that though is this is really this awakening of parents realizing that we have to have more control and say and transparency in our kids education um and so in some ways it's been a it's been a great thing because it's it's woken up all of these parents now across the country that are running for school board that are um, committed to being involved in their kids' education. It's just not drop and go, you know, drop them in the morning, pick them up after aftercare. They're being involved throughout the day. They're in the classroom. They're building relationships with teachers and they're getting their hands and their eyes on their kids' curriculum. So I actually think um, the, the party of parents is the new Republican party, right? This is the wave um, of activists that are coming in and that are demanding change from the Department of Ed. And so you're going to see it, I think, play out in two major ways on the ballot box. One, looking for those state lawmakers, looking for those governors that are making commitments to school choice, because that's what we want to see. We want to see universal school choice. So that way, the parent has the ability to send their kid where wherever is best for them. That could be a private school, could be a parochial school, could be a public school, could be a charter school, could be a magnet school, but regardless of their socioeconomic or demographic background, that they can send their kid wherever is best and that the money follows the student and that it's not just going to, to, the, to the coffers of the, uh, you know, the state department's education budget, that it's about going to the student. And so I think you're going to see parents demand that uh, when they get to the ballot box from those state lawmakers, from those governors. And then hopefully that will just usher in so much momentum for these school choice bills in 2023 to be passed at the state level, very much in the vein of what Arizona just passed, uh, signed by Governor Ducey, a huge expansion of school choice for the state of Arizona. That's the type of momentum that we want to see this next year. And then ultimately, after 2024, when we expect it to be a, a referendum of an election against Biden, then we'll we'll actually get serious about truly eliminating the Department of Education because the feds have no have no proper role in our kids' education. That truly is an issue that should be handled at the state level, closest to the parents, and let that money follow the student, not be beholden uh, to any of these bureaucrats, whether they're in Washington or in state capitals. So um, I think you're going to see a ton of momentum from this. Obviously, the Glenn Youngkin race in Virginia uh, was defined by this. You're, you're, we're going to see even more of that, I think, after November 8th. It sounds good to me. We want parents to be able to take their the, the the funds allocated for their students and put them in other schools, but states can take the funds that they have and pull them mm -hmm. away from ESG funds. Yes. I don't know if that transition really works, but tra transition here to question four, which is about that. Jessica, Heritage Action has been a leader around the country in arguing against ESG investing, this meddling by leftists trying to use uh, things like state pension funds to mm. manipulate our economy and, and try to crush uh, oil and gas jobs, which obviously mean a lot to uh, to those of us who are in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, do you see the tide turning on this? We've seen a lot of pressure and backlash against BlackRock. Uh, are we finally moving in the right direction in, when it comes to this whole ESG investing fad? Yeah, great question. I do believe that the tide is finally turning against woke ESG policies. And the biggest reason is because we've shed a light 
on just how bad these policies are and how much they're going to hurt not only the business but us as consumers. I mean, it's 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 a two it's a two phased war uh, that they that they've embarked on here in the United States, and that's and that's wrong. It's out of touch with our interests as Americans, as and it certainly as our interests as American consumers. So I think everyone is now aware of just how dangerous these ESG policies actually are to our our daily lives. And now people are really standing up. You mentioned the state pensions. We've got uh, two great pieces of model legislation that are available for state lawmakers to build off of and make their own that would protect their state pensions and their state investments from the long arm of these ESG policies. You've got state treasurers and and states all across the country that are taking a hard look at pulling out the ESG portfolio from their own investments. They should absolutely be championed and thanked for that. And then you've got 19 different Republican-led states that are actually launching and banding together to have an investigation into the six largest U.S. banks to figure out their responsibility here. What's their role? What what hand have they been playing here? And so I think you're going to see a flurry of action at the state level, places like Louisiana, Missouri, West Virginia, Texas, Kentucky, even your even your state, Oklahoma, are going to get in the action here to to stop um, the influence and the destruction that ESG policies can have to our to American industries and its oil and gas. But it's so much more than that. It's banking, it's investments, um, and then it's coming for the small business. They're not going to stop there, and that's why I think we have to we have to be take this um, we have to take this movement from the left really serious and stop it now before it totally cripples our economy. I just it seems like such a good issue for conservatives where we clearly have the moral high ground, right? Yeah. All conservatives are asking for is that companies not be bullied nor be bullies and that, you know, they just focus on within the realm of, you know, of, of the laws and, and, you know, business ethics in maximizing shareholder value as opposed to playing politics. Whereas the left wants all of this bullying and all of this manipulation. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that the tide is turning. I'm really thankful for the work that you've done with Heritage Action to uh, to just expose all of this and provide states with the, the kind of model legislation mm-hmm. and a little bit of pushing sometimes, I think, from the Heritage Sentinels that uh, that they need. Uh, they know how to do that. They, Heritage they Action do. Sentinels, they do accountability better than anyone in the country. So, you know, I, this is one of those things where I agree with you. It's a great issue to tackle because people are so interested and they're so aware of how how much damage these policies can do on the, our day to day. Yeah. So question number five, and this, you know, in some ways, I just find this tough even to talk about the Heritage Foundation rates the readiness of our military periodically and Mm -hmm. uh, for the first time has rated the American military as being weak, Uh, which I I think, you know, the the pushback from the left is always, well, we can't be weak. We spend a lot of money Mm -hmm. um, on the military, right? Which is sort of what they say about public schools, right? Well, if we spend a lot of money, surely everything must be fine in public schools. Mm -hmm. And they, they use that on the military. But what what does this mean for our country? And I mean, it, it seems to me to be kind of a, a sleeper issue, right? People really aren't, aren't talking about the, all of the challenges that, that our military faces. So how, how do we get here and, and uh, where do we go from here? 
Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, and I'm and I'm really glad we're talking about it because you're right. A lot of people don't talk about this today. The fact that uh, our military is weakened by these social policies that have have delayed recruitment, um, put us on the back burner when it comes to how what our training and our research and development looks like. All of this is 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 bearing fruit, and that's what the Heritage Foundation study really exposes. This is an annual report. It's called the Index of Military Strength and Readiness, and it goes through and it grades. The United States military, all branches for how ready is it for a for combat? How ready are we if we found ourselves fighting China in a combat war? Would we win? Uh, what would our what would our resiliency look like? And so um, the downgrade or the the lower score on this index um, is incredibly alarming, especially when we look at all of our global threats to our democracy, to our republic. And some of it is because of the the woke ideology that has taken the um, you know taken our eye off the ball when it comes to the purpose of the military. Um, some of it is because the Biden administration uh, has followed the same policies of the Obama administration that have put national defense on the back burner and not provided investments in things like shipbuilding um, and American resiliency and tackling the pilot shortages. I mean, these are all things that are part of, of going into the score that makes us weaker. And so I think the way to look at this is, is one, what do we need as a country um, to protect American interests here in the United States? What is our what does our national defense need to look like? And then back in from there, when we look at our spending fights and, and how we increase defense spending, but we're thoughtful because we need to do it in a way um, that recognizes American debt, which is a huge problem that we shouldn't um, be making these decisions in a vacuum. Um, and then certainly when we look at kind of what do we need from a defense posture to, to tackle China or God forbid Russia or other of our adversaries that might come after us. So I think the index really is, is frankly, it's a warning shot. Congress needs to get serious about national defense and they need to do it very fast. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Jessica Anderson, Executive Director of the Heritage Action Fund. Um, our sixth question today, so we've had you on before, so we've talked about your favorite founding father. Mm. Our sixth question is about the Electoral College, these fights that uh, uh, where Save Our States and Heritage Action have worked together to defend the Electoral College against the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. Right. I wanted to ask you specifically, because we've talked about election security, it's on a lot of people's minds. What do you think the effect would be if, if the left ever succeeded in pushing us to a nationwide popular vote for president, yeah. uh, what, what would the effect be on election security in particular? Yeah, that's an it's it's another great question because um, MPV is totally a scheme from the left to weaken our vote and to insert fraud um, for our elections and 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 basically legalize it and make it standard and a normal part of our election system. And so um, we're very concerned about this. We think that. Um, it would not only encourage fraud, but in a lot of ways, it would systemize it um, and make it kind of a permanent part of our electoral landscape. And so the conservative movement, I think because of your leadership, some of our friends at Honest Elections Project, other parts of the conservative movement have really banded band, band, band together here to shine 
uh, awareness on what the issue is and what the impact would be um, and why conservatives should be vigilant to oppose it. And so um, I think at the end of the day, um, elections should be safe. They should be secure. Um, we should make sure that it's easy for people to vote and we should make it sure it's hard for people to cheat. And you cannot do that with NPV. Um, and that's really why we're we're so opposed to it. That uh, obviously sounds sounds all right to me. I, yes. I think uh, the, the Electoral College works even better than the American founders thought it would. I, that, that's what that's yeah. a conclusion I came to a while back that just sort of fascinated me. They, they weren't exactly sure how it would work. And I think if you could bring somebody like James Madison uh, forward to forward. To <laughs> yeah, I think he would look at it and say, wow, this this thing didn't work exactly how he thought it would. But it, but I yeah. think it actually works better uh, in a country that's become so much bigger and even more diverse. Uh, yeah. than, than so he'd be at your dinner party then, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, no, I, yeah, yeah. My, my favorite founding father, it's right? so hard for me to stray away from, from Madison, although sometimes I, the, the Publius three, Madison and Hamilton and Jay, or yeah. sometimes I just, I just bundle them together and yeah. But well, Jessica, tell people how they can stay in touch with the work that Heritage Action does. If people want to become a Heritage Sentinel, uh, how, how do they how do they do that? How do they get involved? Well, first off, we we need the help. Um, the truth of the matter is activists all across the country are engaged on the issues. They're committed um, to, to knowing what's going on in Washington, to knowing what's going on in their state capitals. So if you're interested uh, or friends or family or anyone in your community is, check us out online. We're at heritageaction.com. You can actually find our regional coordinator map where you can click and you can find all of our state directors that are organizing Sentinels by region right now, because it's right before the election, our focus is knocking on doors, getting out the vote for some of these great um, conservative issues that we believe are on the ballot. And so plug in uh, to one of the weekend uh, walking parties. Uh, we have Dunkin' Donuts and coffee on Saturday mornings uh, to bribe people. And then we hit the streets. Uh, and then certainly after, after, after November 8th, our focus will turn back to these state legislative sessions um, in state capitals and then here in Washington to make sure members of Congress are held accountable uh, to what got them there in the first place. And activists and Sentinels are a huge part in that. Um, and we'd love to welcome more people into Sentinel Nation. So check us out, heritageaction.com. That uh, that's great. I yeah, I'll I'll just add my my two cents as we close. Um, I was talking with someone earlier today about having been a candidate myself and and just saying that knocking doors I, I thought was the most rewarding part of that process. They were surprised. But I think if, if folks have never done that, to go out and knock doors in your community talking about issues that you care about, it is it's such a good way to really better understand our communities, our politics, and to actually make a difference in an election that is so critically important. So uh, yeah, I hope folks Great. will will connect with Heritage Action and be a part of those walking parties here between now and election day and, and then looking ahead to 2024. Jessica, thank you so much for being a part of Six Questions once again. Thank you so much for having me. Great discussion. Absolutely. Thanks to all of you for watching or listening. Uh, remember to share this podcast, go and rate it and, uh, you know, give us a, a good five-star rating, leave a nice comment. That is how people find out about the program. Until next time, I'm Trent England for Save Our States.